Today on this old house, we're going to tell you how to build a lovely arbor like this for your own backyard. You'll need some lumber and... Uh, no, that's not what this prop is for. Um, this was for a very special ceremony last night. And uh, this was built here, and that's why it's not easy to remove. And, and during the ceremony, our youth minister, Rick O'Dell, came through these doors, and he saw his shadow, and it predicted six weeks of weddings. <laughs> Seems that way, doesn't it, Rick? <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, um, it, it is a, a remnant from... Uh, uh, Allison Todd and Carl Newmeyer's wedding service that was here instead of outdoors because of all the rain. And it's just, it's a, it's a witness to the fact that marriage is alive and well. It's a witness to the fact that little ones who've grown up among us are learning the wisdom of God's ways because old ones who are among us show them the wisdom of God's ways. And so let me also then, uh, uh, there's two things I need to tell you about it. One is, uh, let me teach this lesson to all of our little ones. This thing is heavy. So I ask you today, please don't come up here and play around this structure, okay? Now, let me ask you adult ones, don't act like they heard every word of that, okay? Help them make good decisions. And uh, we, we need your help. The other thing I would want to tell you is, yes, it's a bit of an inconvenience because it has to be dismantled. And uh, if it's been in the way of the screen and if it has uh, ruined your worship experience in any way, then um, it, it'll be gone. Okay, so don't worry about it. It's a, it's, a, it's a testimony to a good thing that has taken place. All right. But if you need me to say I'm sorry, come to me later and I will. And um, if that makes you feel better. Because I want you to feel better. My job in life is to make you feel better. Turn with me to John chapter 15. One of the things that moments like this, the props and the event and all that we've been doing this year and... and uh, this is at least the third wedding among our church family fellowship that we've had this year, and there are more to come. But it's made us aware of the fact that we are connected, that, that, that we're not just a, uh, an organization that has regular one-hour meetings, but we're connected, and we're connected in ways we may not even recognize fully. Uh, the good news is God's Word makes it clear to us how special, how important, how vital that connection is. The image for connection last week was a cloud of witnesses. And that throughout generations and throughout time and space, we are linked as a cloud of witnesses, linked by Jesus Christ, the Son, the Son of God, who shines through that cloud. There's another image in John chapter 15. Let's read it. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they'll produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, abide in me, and I will abide in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. 
And you cannot be fruitful unless you abide in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to the Father. I've loved you, even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything my father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Now this is my command. Love each other. In that reading, you may have noticed we went between the words remain and abide. In the original, it's the same word. Even some translations, more recent translations, preserve that word abide. Now my question to you is, when's the last time you used the word abide? How do we use this term? Because focusing on this verb, we've got the image, we've got the vine, we've got the branches, we've got the gardener. I I think that's easy enough to pick up. But the verb connected to all of this is abide. Here's just a few examples. You think about how you've used it or how you've seen it used. Somebody says, I will abide here. Well, what would that mean? That would mean they're going to remain here. I will abide by the rules. There you go. Uh, I'm asking young people, stay off the stage today. Now, everybody raise your right hand. I will abide by those rules. There you go. Okay, that's what abide means. Uh, But abide also, you hear it in sentences like, I cannot abide cruelty. I cannot abide uh, um, anger. I cannot abide rudeness. What does that mean? That means you won't tolerate it. And then Jesus uses the term abide in me. And he abides in the Father. The the meanings of these words, when you see it used in different ways, you see it meaning to remain, to reside. Where do you abide? Means where do you live? Where are you staying? Uh, To abide by the rules means to conform, to to submit yourself to rules. Not abiding something. Well, if you look at that third meaning, If you do not abide something, that means that you will not withstand it. You will not tolerate it. When you flip that over out of the negative, then what you see is abiding has something to do with giving commitment. Not just allowing something to happen. But you are giving your commitment. You're giving your approval. 
And to abide in me, as Christ says, is to remain in a fixed state, to remain constant. So when you sum all this together, when you add it all together, you get this sense of abiding, meaning devotion. But even more than devotion, it's devotion with the understanding that there is a presence. We don't just devote ourselves to an abstract uh, concept. We devote ourselves to a person. So there's the idea of presence. There's the idea of unity. There is the concept of commitment and approval. This is why I think abiding is a good word for us to recover as we understand that, because it has such multi-dimensions of meaning. God abides. It's one of the things we talk about God being love. We talk about God being righteous. Uh, We talk about the things that God does. But do we ever stop and think that one of the things that God does, one of his eternal qualities is he abides. Which if you have that concept of presence and devotion, it means that God endures eternally. He is constantly with us. He's not a remote God. He's not a far-off God. But he is a God who chooses to be with us. You you see that in the name of Jesus. Uh, Often at Christmas time, we remember that the name of Jesus is Emmanuel. Well, that's not just Jesus' middle name, okay? What that means is it's it's a phrase that means God is with us. Emmanuel. And so... Understanding God is understanding that he has this abiding presence. And by abiding presence, we mean a presence that's not just eerie and spooky and it's sort of there like a, like a ghost in a ghost hunter show, but, but he's there with us and we understand that it's a loving presence. It's a revealing presence. He wants to be with us. He wants to be known by us and he wants us to know him. God abides. This is also a quality, then, of God's Son. Now, just a few chapters back in John 12, 34, John 1, 2, 3, 4, you see that one of the understandings, even before the gospel, but the understanding of the Messiah, which is God's anointed one, God's designated king, one of the qualities of the, of the Messiah is that the Messiah would remain forever. And that word that will probably show up in your scripture as remain forever is the same word for abide. Same word. The crowds say to Jesus after he is speaking of the death on the cross that he must go through. They question that and they say, we understood from the law that the Messiah would live forever or remain forever. So how is it that you can say the Son of Man will die by being lifted up? And who is this Son of Man anyway? Well, the Son of Man is the Messiah, that, that, that figure that will appear to judge all of the living and the dead, an agent appointed by God. And one of the qualities of the Messiah, of the Christ, of the Son of Man, is that he will remain forever. So God abides, Christ abides And the Spirit of God abides on Christ. At the baptism of Jesus, we hear the story that Jesus goes to John the Baptist. He says, 
I, I, it's to fulfill all righteousness, I'm to be baptized by you. John at first, not sure about this. And then he submits himself to the work of God. He baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. When Jesus comes up from the river, there's a voice that comes out of heaven. And the Spirit of God, like a dove, descends on him. In John chapter 1, it says it remains on him. Same word. Now tell me this. In your imagination of that scripture, because I'll confess this. Do you have this idea of Jesus coming up out of the water? There's sunbeams that come out of the sky. The voice is heard. Down flies the Holy Spirit. We have our photo opportunity. And whoosh, the Holy Spirit's gone again. There's no indication that that's the case. The Holy Spirit remains on him. It's an abiding presence. It remains. So God's presence abides with us. The Spirit abides with Christ. That means that his Spirit remains with us. It's what Jesus promised. That his Spirit would dwell with us. It would remain and abide with us. Take a look with me at John 14. Trying to prepare his disciples for his departure, Jesus has many things to say to them. About verse 10, he says, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And he's talking about that abiding relationship. The words that I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Now I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with my Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Did you notice what Jesus just said? That when he is reunited with his Father, his disciples would be able to do even greater works. That defies our logic. I mean, we think that if we've got Jesus with us in the flesh, we should be able to do more. But he's saying, if I am reunited with my Father, then he will send the Spirit, and the things that can be done in that relationship will be even greater than what has been seen now. Church, that's us. That's the situation we find ourselves in. If we can't believe that even greater things can be done, then maybe we're not paying attention to the abiding presence of God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Maybe we need to become aware of what it means to be the branches and to abide in the true vine and let the gardener, the Father, do His work. This is the message here. That the Spirit abides with us. Now, I know that that abiding Spirit, it's, it's natural to ask, how though? How does that work? How do we know it abides with us? Well, it may be abiding with us and we're just not paying attention. Uh, abiding has to do with dwelling. And let me say right now, I'm not going to reveal to you the mysteries of the Holy Spirit. Not because I'm mean and nasty like that, but it's because 
I don't know them, all right? They're mysteries. Uh, if, it could, if it could be understood and explained, then what's the point? But there are some things that can be known about it. And yet sometimes it seems like it's become too difficult. I'm going to borrow a lesson, and that's why I have this hammer. I'm going to borrow a lesson from a 20th century philosopher named Michael Polanyi. Now, he was trying to describe how we know anything that we know and how are we aware of anything going on around us. And he has all of these wonderful little illustrations. And one of those is you're hammering a nail. And when you, if you've learned how to hammer nails, what's the first lesson you usually learn? Keep your eye on what? The nail, exactly. If you keep your eye here, you're going to hit your thumb, okay? No, when, when you're hammering a nail, your awareness of the hand holding that hammer is secondary. You're focusing on that nail. And, when it, and, and what do you feel? Do you, do you feel the hammer touching your palm? Do you pay much attention to that? Of course, you feel it, but is that where your attention is focused? No. Get this. How many, raise your hand if when you've been hammering a nail, you feel the hammer hit the head of the nail. Raise your hand if you've ever felt that. Really? You've got nerve endings that go up into a hammer? How on earth is that possible? It is possible, isn't it? And even though I play the rigid science card there, guess what? You feel it. Now, we can explain how that happens, but the point is your consciousness, your consciousness and your awareness dwells in the hammer. Now, if that's true of a silly thing like a hammer and a nail, how much more can it be true of God dwelling in us? And you see, we focus so much on we, we want to we feel, we feel what, it, what, it, what it means to, to hammer the head of the nail. In this analogy, you're not the person hammering. You're the hammer. It's not so important what we feel. It's more important what God does by dwelling in us and abiding among us. Our feelings are secondary. It's his presence dwelling among us that matters here. That's what we pay attention to. And that is the message that Christ has. He says, if you will remain in me, if you'll abide in me, I'm the true vine. Then as branches, you'll do what? You'll bear fruit. Do you know there's a connection? By the way, I don't know. Anybody know what today is? It's on the church calendar. It's Pentecost. Today is the day of Pentecost. And you didn't get me anything, okay? So I'm going to remember this. Um, today is Pentecost, seven weeks after uh, the Passover, the, you know, whatever. And uh, again, a day that doesn't mean much to us, but we understand the significance of the historical Pentecost. You can read about it in Acts chapter 2. And, and what happens there is the disciples, they don't pick up with any effort on their own. They've been told by the Messiah you wait. You wait for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll know what to do. And the Holy Spirit does come on the day of Pentecost. Tongues of fire and a mighty wind. And, and, and now they are empowered. What happens on the day of Pentecost? What did the disciples do? Again, we get caught up in the tongue of fire. We get caught up in the languages. We get 
caught up in the speaking in tongues. What was that like? How was it experienced? Look at the end result. All right? The end result. The end result is they communicated the truth. They communicated the truth about Jesus Christ. Well, wait, how could they do that? There are obstacles. People speak different languages. There's misunderstanding. People had crucified the Messiah. But the empowerment of the Spirit, dwelling in them, the abiding Spirit, empowers them to overcome obstacles. How many times do we see obstacles to sharing the gospel? Sometimes we think discipleship is checking in for an hour on Sunday. I'm telling you, that's just, that's just the, the beginning of it. Discipleship's what we're going to do from this point on the rest of the week until we come together again. So you've got opportunities to communicate the truth out there. Now you can focus on your own inabilities and insufficiencies and get tripped up, or you can trust in the abiding presence of the Spirit to empower you to communicate the truth. Second thing that happened was community was formed. I mean, we look at 2.4, they communicated the truth. Look at 2.42. Youth, we, we, we mentioned this verse last week. Youth group, you've heard this. Non-youth group, you need to hear this too, okay? Community. That's the whole message. Look at what they did. They, they, they fellowshiped with one another. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Okay, we don't have to break that down into a little formula of what we're supposed to do between 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. You look at that and you say, a way of life. That's how they lived their life. They formed a community. A people have come together because they are connected by the common spirit, by the spirit of God. And despite the worldly boundaries that would keep them apart, despite the worldly values that would keep them apart, they're formed into a community. So this is what happens on Pentecost. And this takes us back to Jesus' promise that when he goes to be with his Father, he will send the Spirit. You saw that happen at Pentecost. The vine and the branches. The Father and Son abide in one another. We abide in Christ, and he abides in us. So what is the end result of that? Well, the end result is that when we abide in Christ, we bear fruit. It's a simple analogy. You've got a branch coming off of a vine. As long as that branch is connected to the vine, you understand this, basic botany. It's, it's connected to the, the source of, of nourishment. It's connected to the source of water. And, and so that vine is going to, it's going to blossom. It's going to have grapes on it. Cut that branch off, and what's it going to do? It's going to die. It's cut off from the source. We bear fruit. And by bearing fruit, we mean the result of what God wants to do in this world, like forming community, communicating the truth. We bear fruit when we are connected to the vine, when we abide in Christ. I'll confess that one of the things that that I've gotten wrong in ministry is that I think a lot of that has to do with me pouring more effort into my own works. Then I start acting like I'm a, a, a manager at a widget factory. Well, if I'll just increase the production lines and, you know, more, 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 I get more people to help me, then guess what? We'll just, we'll just keep manufacturing more and more. More and more what? Well, I don't know what it is, but we'll just do more of it. 
the focus isn't on effort. The focus is on abiding. If you will focus on remaining in Christ, you're going to bear fruit whether you know it or not, whether you realize it or not, whether you even try to make it happen or not. If you are that close to the abiding presence of Christ, that's going to come through you. That, that's, that's, going to, that, that's going to ooze off of you. That's just going to shine forth from your life. What you need to do, what I need to do, what we all need to do as one is commit ourselves to abiding in Christ. Now, don't think that that's some kind of choice. You know, some people can do works and they'll do efforts, and I think I'll let people who do that, I'll let them do that. Me, I'm going to abide in Christ. This isn't an either-or. If you abide in Christ, you will bear fruit. And you're going to know what you need to do. And don't worry about how much fruit you're producing. You know, don't worry. There's no mention of harvest yields or market prices or anything like that. God is the gardener. He's in charge of how much fruit comes forth. He'll take care of that. And he does it not only by nourishing the vine, but also by pruning it. That means clipping away that which is not any good so that it will bear more fruit. The second thing is this. Okay, if by being linked to the vine we are also linked to the gardener, then as branches linked to the vine, that links us to one another. Sometimes our salvation concept is very small. That we think that salvation is just, hey, listen, what are the things I got to do? Can you give me the little checklist? Because I want to make sure I go to heaven when this is all over. Oh, that, that's, the, that's the simple part. Uh, because going to heaven, that's, you just got to trust in the one who is in heaven, okay? There, settled that, that's done. But there's much more to salvation than that. Now, I, I, know, I know that may seem a bit shocking, and I want to give you just a chance to absorb that. The church is not in the business of selling tickets to heaven, okay? We're not in the business of selling fire insurance to keep you out of hell. We are in the business of abiding in Christ, the true vine. That's who we are. And it's not even a business, it's a way of life. And so we are called to have a purpose, to live the kind of lives now and in eternity that God always meant for us to live. That means that part of salvation is purpose. If you've ever been, you know, if you've ever felt like you're not doing what you were meant to do, if you ever felt like uh, there's just something unfulfilling about life. Maybe part of that, maybe part of it, I can't say it's all of it, but maybe part of it is you're not doing, you're not, fulfill, you're not following the purpose that God has for you. And he can give your life meaning and purpose. It's not always going to be easy, but it will be meaningful. And you see that quite often in Scripture. When we are united with one another in the true vine, then we're also united. When we're united with the true vine, we're united with one another. And so part of the salvation projects, part of the salvation plan, is not just to save us as individuals, but to save us as people. When sin entered the world in Genesis, we often stop at the point where humanity, Adam and Eve, is separated from God. But keep reading the story. What happens to Cain and Abel? They're separated from one another. 
Hatred enters the world. There's murder. Abel is eternally lost to Cain. And that all happens, strangely enough, in worship. It's one of the first worship divisions you'll ever read of in history. God is not only interested in restoring the relationship between you and him, he wants to restore your relationship with your brothers and sisters in the vine. He wants to restore our relationships with people who do not yet acknowledge God. And he wants all of that to come together in, in his time, in his plan. Now that's our purpose. That's what we're called to. The message of connection this morning, the message of good news is that we have been invited to abide in Christ. Now, did you hear one of the things that Jesus said in this text? He says, you didn't choose me. So I'm not going to ask you to make a decision for Jesus this morning because that's rather biblically inaccurate. I'm going to ask you to respond to the decision that Jesus made about you. He... Hear this. I'm saying this to each and every one of you. He chose you. Will you accept that? Can you accept that? And if you want to argue with me and say, well, yeah, but you don't understand. Hey, don't argue with me. You might convince me. Oh, you don't know that about me. Boy, you're right. Good grief. Yeah, no, forget it. Don't, I'm, I'm, I can be persuaded. Christ chose you. If you want to fuss, fuss it out with him. My advice is, just accept it. Because it's good news. And it may be news because we may not have ever, some of you may not have ever heard this until today, that Christ is on your side. He is choosing you. That doesn't mean he's becoming your personal servant. It means he's willing to be your friend. It means he's willing to befriend you. Remain in the vine. Abide in him as he abides in the Father. And then understand what life in the vine looks like. All I can say today is knowing that he has chosen you, won't you get started? As we stand and sing this song, we want to encourage anyone. Whatever encouragement you may need, shepherds will be down here. They'll be in room 100. If you have any other response to Christ's choice of you, then why don't you do that today while we stand and sing?